0: Let's hear God's word. Phyllis Morrison's going to come and read to us from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You'll find it on page 966 of your Bibles. It'll be also be on the screen. Thank you.
1: The visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people, chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will become a ruler, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you go, find him, report to me, so that I may go too and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Amen.
0: One of the things that characterizes Christmas is this spirit of of giving. As we thought about just with with the children, I heard about a lady who was doing her Christmas shopping. And as with some of us, we we leave some things to the last minute. And she was in a rush, and one of the things she needed to buy was Christmas cards. Because she realized there were some people near her um, who she should send a card to you. And she came across a table that was marked 50% off, and she was a person who always loved a bargain. And there were several Christmas boxes of Christmas cards with 50% off. And she thought, great, I can get these cards. They look lovely, and I'm, I'm saving a bit of money because Christmas cards are expensive. And she needed 49s, and there was a box of 50. She got 50 together. She bought them, went home, Wrote her Christmas cards quite quickly and dressed them and hastily posted them. And as she was coming home, she, there was one left because she only needed 49. She thought, I, I better just see what the message was on the inside uh, after she'd posted them. And so she opened it and it said, this card is to let you know that a little gift is on its way. <laughs> so sometimes maybe you know you try to save money, but you end up spend, spending more than you actually planned. I don't know what she did then um, or what kind of gift followed up this Christmas card. So it's dangerous to be in a rush. You make hasty judgments. The Magi, these wise men, are are all about giving gifts to, to Jesus. And we want to think about this story this morning that Phyllis read to us from Matthew 2. And here's the question. Of all the people that visited Jesus, why does he only tell us about these travelers from a land far away? You could ask the same question to Luke. Why does Luke only tell us about shepherds? I'm sorry to dispel some Christmas myths, but in the reading, these magi come to a house, not a stable. If you look it's a house that they come to. Um, Jesus could be a year old by by this stage, um, so and that's probably why Herod wanted all the, the boys killed under two years old because he wanted to make sure that he included this new king uh, in, in this murders that he inflicted upon this on Bethlehem, um, and so. Of all the stories and all the people that could have visited Jesus, he he, he probably knew about the shepherds by the time he's writing Matthew's gospel. Why does he only tell us about this group of travelers? What's his point? Who were they? Well, as I've said, they were from Persia, 900 miles away. They were advisors. Magi were religious court advisors to the kings of Persia. Religiously, they were polytheistic, they worshipped many gods, uh, like the Greek and the Romans had. Zoroastrianism, as a religion, was just beginning in Persia then, and it slowly after that became more of a worldwide religion. As magi, they are experts not only in wisdom, but also in astrology, in magic, and interpreters of dreams, and that was a great profession in those days astrology dealt with signs in the heavens people were always looking for guidance Uh, they lived in fear of omens out there and and evil uh, malevolent forces and benevolent forces and trying to tame them the world was a hostile place and so they're always looking for guidance about the decisions that they need to make and so the magi were court advisors to guide the king and what kind of decisions he could safely make And they interpreted the stars and the the comets and the uh, the planets out there. And they all had different ways of of reading the future. And a comet was often interpreted that a death of a a leader was about to happen. And so when kings and uh, rulers and Caesars saw comets, they were petrified that the comet might be a sign that they were about to die. And often the way they dealt with that was that they would secretly order their soldiers to go and execute another leader. And then they would say that comet was meant for them so I could sleep. It's obviously not meant for me. But they lived in fear and different planets had different meanings and if two planets came together, then... One planet that might signify kingship that came together with another planet that signified a region might speak about a new king in that region. So they were stargazers and they were uh, always interpreting what the gods out there might be saying. Now, what's fascinating is that the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the light of the Old, condemns astrology. And it mocks them. So Jeremiah says, Do not be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them, because you trust in the God who made the stars and the planets and the comets. So you don't have to fear them. So don't don't try and interpret God's will in the planets because they're just planets. God is look beyond that to the God who who created it. Isaiah mocks stargazers who make predictions month by month, but cannot even save themselves. So the Old Testament Hello. There we are. Where was I? (laughs) The Old Testament and the New Testament condemn astrology and stargazers. And yet, of all the people that Matthew talks about, he has this group. And historians say that is one evidence that this must have really happened because nobody would have written these magi coming to Jesus because of all the, the condemnation that the Old Testament speaks of them in unless it really happened. No one would have included them in the life of Jesus who came in obedience to God's word to include a group of people that God continually condemns because of what they do and their profession and so historians say this must have happened these magi must have come because nobody would have made it up nobody would have put it in what were they following was it a star was it a comet was it Halley's comet? was it a conjunction of planets could it have been an angel Different views are given the best from an astronomical point of view is that it was Jupiter Jupiter and Saturn coming together in the area of Pisces. Pisces was reckoned in the ancient world to be the mark the ends of the sun 's old course and the beginning of the new. so Pisces was the, the area when new things happened, and Jupiter was the royal planet. Saturn was long the symbol of Israel, and Jupiter and Saturn came together in the area of Pisces in the year 7 BC. And they, they, were, they were revealed on three different dates, 29th of May, 3rd of October, and the 4th of December. And so for stargazers, you can see how this is a possible way that they interpreted the brightness of these planets like a star, leading them to a new king in Israel. Pisces, the area that a new thing was beginning, The sovereignty of the world was changing. Jupiter for royalty. And it was shifting to Judea. That was the the planet Saturn for Israel. And that's why they probably came to Jerusalem. Expecting that the new king that was foretold in the stars and the skies would be there. Another strong possibility is actually this is an angel. In Matthew chapter 2 is part of four appearances and a quote uh, for two weeks ago uh, 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 an angel appears to joseph and then there's a scripture isaiah seven fourteen. then you have a star appearing and then you have a scripture uh, micah 5 verse 2 later you will read an angel appears to joseph and tells him to go into egypt again there's two scriptures And then finally, in chapter 2, verses 19, an angel appears to Joseph again. And then there's a summary of the prophets, which is quoted in 2.23. For this reason, he will be called a Nazarene. Four appearances and scriptures in each one quoted. Three of them are with an angel. Could the star also be an angel? Interestingly, angels in the Old Testament are often referred to by a star. Job Job 38 verse 7 speaks of the morning stars singing together and all the sons of God shouting for joy. The morning stars are are a poetic way of of talking about angels. In the book of Revelation, the seven stars are angels for the seven churches. So throughout Judaism and, and the Christians in the light of Judaism, angels are often referred to as stars. The other thing that angels do is that they guide And so, and they protect, and so angels guided and protected Israel to the promised land. And you also read in the early church how angels led Peter out of prison, guided them to somewhere safety. So is it possible that Jewish readers reading Matthew chapter 2 that we have just heard would have interpreted this star as a guiding angel? that would help make sense of the way that the, the appearance, this brightness can move from east to west and disappear and then move Jerusalem south to, to Bethlehem and then strangely Abel is able to stop over the house where Jesus is born as if it was illuminating that very spot as you will read in verse 9. The view that the star is actually an angel has been held by different Christians down through the century. It also would be consistent with Luke's story, where it's angels who appear to shepherds to tell them about the birth of Jesus. Angels are always the divine messengers of Jesus' birth. So if it is an angel, why doesn't it just say angel? Why have we got a star here? The other interesting thing is that the angels are all appearing to God's people, to Jews. These are the only group of Gentiles, and so maybe the fact that it says a star is a way of differentiating that these people are not God's people, but they are foreigners. They are Gentiles, and this is God's way of differentiating that they are a different group from his own people. Also, they are astrologers. They're not immersed in Jewish scriptures. They don't know how angels work as God's messengers, because they don't believe in this God. So God is using what they think they see, a star, to lead them to the Messiah that they need to hear about. Yes, they saw a brightness uh, being stargazers in the sky. They're fascinated by this brightness. They may have known about the prophecy to the Gentile Balaam, their ancestor in Numbers 24, a star shall rise out of Jacob, and being astrologers sky gazers they see this new star and they believe that this might be the answer to that prophecy whether it was an actual star whether it was uh, planets coming together whether it was an angel that looked like a star it does not really matter the star is not the focus Though we may be fascinated with trying to work out what it is. Whatever it is, the star is not the focus. The star is the means that God leads this group of men to worship Jesus. The star is used to proclaim to them that a new king has been born. And that is why they begin this star trek to Jerusalem and ultimately to Bethlehem. So let's go back to my question. Of all the people that visited Jesus, Matthew knew about the shepherds. There may have been other people in that year or so that they spent in Bethlehem. Why does he only talk about these magi? Do you remember what we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1? This gospel is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we thought about on the first Sunday of Advent what those terms mean. As son of David, Jesus is the rightful king of the Jews. And as the Christ, he is the son that will bring God's reign, God's authority, God's presence back into the world. And as a son of Abraham, he will bring blessing to all the nations because Abraham was promised, through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And the story of the Magi illustrates both These promises. Jesus as a son of David and Jesus as a son of Abraham. As a son of David, Jesus is the king with all authority. Herod is not from a royal family. Herod got into power because Rome put him there. He helped Rome. As the Greek Empire started to break up and deteriorate, he helped Rome contain power in that area. So Herod put him in power, and then he fought that he might be given the title king. And eventually, they gave him, allowed him to use the title king as well. He was a famous builder. Um, he was friends with Antony. He was enemies with Cleopatra. And that's dangerous because if you're enemies of the girlfriend of your friend, the girlfriend is usually going to win out. And that's what happens. So he goes against Rome because the Caesar uh, is after Antony and Cleopatra. But he's a clever guy. And he says to Octavian Augustus, who's a Caesar at the time, look, look how, what a good friend I was to Antony. Even to the end, that shows you I can be a royal true friend. So just as I was your enemy's friend... I volunteered to be your your friend. And Augustus thought that's a really good idea. I need somebody loyal. And he let him stay in power. Mariamne was Herod's favorite wife, even though he had many wives. But when Mariamne was falsely accused of adultery, he had her strangled to death. Later he discovered she was actually innocent. And he felt so bad that he named a tower after her. Mariamne's younger brother was high priest, He's getting too popular. And Herod doesn't like people getting more popular than him. So the young man had a drowning accident in a pool that now we discover by archaeological excavation was only three feet deep. So maybe he was very short. We don't know. He was very jealous. Nobody could be king of Judea except him. He heard that two of his sons were plotting to take his throne, so he killed them. He later discovered that they had been framed and he had been framed and he had killed them for nothing. So when the Magi come from the east to Jerusalem and say to him as king, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. No wonder he is disturbed because he's paranoid about anybody who might threaten his hold on power. No wonder all Jerusalem is disturbed with him because they knew what kind of a tyrant he was and how he would lash out at anyone who threatened him. And so Matthew 2 is about two kings. The one who is the promised one of God, the son of David and the son of Abraham and the one who is simply a pretender to the throne. Jesus' birth may look like a simple story about a boy born to Jewish parents who would excite messianic hopes of a liberator from Rome's oppression. But Herod knows this is about much more. This is about who's running the show. This is about who will win in the end. This is about who is the legitimate king of, of, of Israel. And the gospel, the rest of the, through Matthew's gospel, is about two kingdoms colliding. The kingdom that comes, God's kingdom that's coming through Jesus, and this other force represented by Herod that will always clash with God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of heaven invading earth, the reign of God versus the rule of men, the king Jesus against the king Herods, who are so evil of this world. And as you read through Matthew's gospel he is telling you how Jesus is the king. In Matthew 2, the Magi come and they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And through all through your gospel, you're saying Jesus is the king, but he's only declared to be king in Matthew 27. And it's written on a plaque and it's hammered into his cross that he's dying on. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So the question that the Magi ask is this the king of the Jews? Where is he born? Will finally be answered as he's hanging on a cross. This is the king of the Jews. That his kingship with all its authority will be revealed as he hangs on a cross. And so Matthew's gospel is explaining why Jesus is the crucified king, why he needs to be a crucified king. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I am a king because, he didn't say i was a king, but he, he has authority to lay down his life and take it up again. He is a king with all authority over everything. And if he is a king, then he is a threat to all other claims to be king that would claim our hearts and any allegiance that would take us away from the worship of him. Jesus is the king with all authority. He's a son of David. And these magi come and said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? The second thing that this passage is about, how Jesus is a blessing to all nations. He is the son of Abraham. The mission of Jesus is to make outsiders insiders. God has always loved people on the fringe, outsiders, aliens, people who are broken, foreigners, sinners, people who are lost, And he's always had a heart for them. So he takes a prophet called Jonah. And he says, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh, the Assyrians. And Jonah says, no way. I'm not preaching to them. So I'm getting in a boat and I'm going as far away from Assyria as possible. And he starts heading in the opposite direction. You all know the story. There's a storm. They throw Jonah overboard. He gets swallowed by a big fish. He realizes he can't run from God. So reluctantly, he goes to Nineveh and starts preaching. You better repent. God's going to send judgment on you. What happens? Nineveh repents with sackcloth and ashes, and they plead for God, and God relents from that. And then we read, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. How does Jonah react? Jonah was greatly displeased and becomes angry. Lord is this not what I said when I was at home? This is why I was so quick to flee. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah runs away because he knows that God is compassionate and gracious and he does not want Nineveh to have God's compassion and graciousness. He wants God's judgment on them. They are his enemies. So even though Abraham was promised, through your seed all nations of the earth will be blessed. The descendants do not want the other nations to be blessed. They want them to be judged. They want God to be their God alone. They do not have a love for them or a care for them to spread God's compassion and graciousness. Israel always failed to live out the promise to be Abraham's children by being a blessing to the nations. And Jonah, as a prophet, witnesses to the hardness that they had in reaching out to the other nations in compassion and graciousness. Jesus will change all that. Jesus will fulfill the promise to Abraham of that he is a God that through Israel, all nations of the earth will be blessed. He will bring God's blessing to the world. And as Matthew is writing his gospel, what better people to illustrate how Jesus is for all the nations by telling the story of these Gentile magi who traveled 900 miles to come and worship Jesus, because God led them by a star to come to Jesus. And the tragedy is this that when they came to Jerusalem and these Gentiles told these Jews that their king had been born in Bethlehem, it's only the Magi who went on to Bethlehem. The people who knew God's word, who told them this is what Micah says, but you, Bethlehem of Judea, though you by are no means least among the, the clans of Judah, out of you will come a leader. They quote scripture to, to the king to confirm that it's Bethlehem. They don't go. They're not interested. It's only the magi that continue their journey to actually go and worship Jesus. The people who knew their Bibles the most are not interested in Jesus as king. A generation later, when Jesus is no longer a baby, the successor of the same scribes and chief priests who stood before King Herod when the Magi came will want Jesus dead as a grown man and out of the way. They don't want Jesus as king. They don't want him to bless the nations, but he will bless them because he is the king. He is God's king with all authority. And he is the one who will bless all, nation, all nations. All What does this mean for you and me here today? God wants our attention. God wants your attention today. God chooses to speak to stargazers through a star because stars had significance for these men. God descends to the magi's level to communicate with them Because stars got their attention. And so God uses a star to lead them to what they need most. The king who was born, not just for the Jews, but for all nations of the world. He is as much their king as he is the king of Israel. God is always speaking in ways that we can understand through our own journeys, through different signs that you may be going through and to get your attention, to let you know that he wants to bless your life. That he's not just for other people. He's not just somebody else's king, but he wants to be your king as well, to bless your life richly with his presence. God wants your attention. So how is he getting your attention? Is he using some circumstances in your life to make you realize to turn to him and to look to him, to know that he is a God who cares for you and whatever you are going through? What does it mean to rejoice that Jesus is a blessing to all nations? Do we rejoice in it today? I think there's a failure in many of our hearts that can be illustrated by somebody breaking into a shop and they switch all the prices around. And so the things that are not very worth very much, they have been swapped with a price that is astronomical. And the things that are worth a lot have been given a very little value to them all. Somebody's gone in and switched all the prices around in this shop. And in our lives, we give ourselves, we give our worth, we we pay a high price for something that ultimately is of very little value. And the things that are truly of value in our heart, we dismiss as worthless because they don't cost us very much. The gospel is not cheap, but it's free because it's about God and about what God is doing to bring good news to you. Joseph and Mary never speak a word in Matthew's birth stories about Jesus. The narrator is telling the story But nobody speaks in Matthew except God. God is the mover, the speaker, the planner, the preserver. God is the one who's sending his angels. God is the one who's bringing the magi to worship. God is the one who protects Jesus. This is a story about what God is doing through Jesus for his world to bring us the king that we've always longed for, to have good authority over our lives, the one that we can trust, the one that we can commit on any problems that we have today to say, you alone are the, ones that have, uh, the one who has eternal life. You're the one who is the healer. You're the one who can lead me through through this dark time. He is the king with all authority. Trust him. Have faith in him today. And know that he is the one who wants to bless your life, to make you Rich with his presence, both now and forevermore. What a fantastic story Matthew 2 is about the story of the Magi. Of all the stories that Matthew could have told us. He tells us about one story that illustrates how Jesus is the son of David. And the true son of Abraham. To bless us and to be our king of our hearts. Both now and forevermore. Let us pray. Father, we take a moment just to be quiet. Some of us have had a very busy week. There are so many things, part of our lives and our journeys around this Advent season. But thank you for worship this morning. To remember that this is about you. This is your story from creation to new creation. And that we are invited to share in it. To share in your Kingship in your kingdom. A kingdom where peace reigns. Where every tear will be wiped from every eye. And who's included? All nations of the earth, from every tribe, language and tongue are included. Because you're a God who wants to bless your whole world. And as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him is the answer to all their problems and their sin, and their temptation and their struggles. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life eternal. Lord, in that hope, we worship you today. We pray, Lord, that your kingship would reign in all our situations as we pray to you and as we seek your help. And as you guide us through, may we know your presence and your blessing, for we pray in Jesus' name. Oh